Chapter 10 of Freaks on the Fells, Three Months Rustication, Story 1, by R. M. Ballantyne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 10, Lost on the Mountains. Did ever the worthy London merchant, in the course of his life, approach to the verge of the region of despair, it was on that eventful night when he found himself and his family lost among the mountains of scotland it's dreadful said he sitting down on a cold grey rock and beginning slowly to realize the utter hopelessness of their condition my poor lucy don't be cast down drawing her to his breast after all it will only be a night of wandering but we must keep moving we must not venture to lie down in our wet clothes we must not even rest long at a time, lest a chill should come upon you. But I'm quite warm, Papa, and only a very little tired. I could walk for miles yet. She said this cheerily, but she could not help looking anxious. The night was so dark, however, that no one could see her looks. Do let me go off alone, Father, urged George. I am as fresh as possible, and could run over the hills until I should fall in with— Don't mention it, George. I feel that our only hope is to keep together— poor peter what will become of that boy mr sudbury became almost desperate as he thought of the small clerk he started up come we must keep moving you are not cold dear are you sure you're not cold quite sure papa why are you so anxious because i have a flask of brandy which i mean to delay using until we break down and cannot get on without it whenever you begin to get chilled i must give you brandy not till then however spirits are hurtful when there is hard toil before you but when you break down there is no resource left rest food sleep would be better but these we have no chance of getting to-night poor jacky does he keep warm george no fear of him cried george with forced gaiety he's all right jack had broken down completely soon after nightfall vigorously manfully he had struggled to keep up but when his usual hour for going to bed arrived nature refused to sustain him he sank to the ground and then george wrapped him up in his shooting coat in which he now lay sound asleep like a dirty brown bundle on his brother's shoulders i'll tell you what said fred after they had walked or rather stumbled on for some time in silence suppose you all wait here for ten minutes while i run like a greyhound to the nearest height and see if anything is to be seen mamma must have alarmed the whole neighbourhood by this time and if they are looking for us they will be sure to have lanterns or torches a good idea my boy go and pause every few minutes to shout so that we may not lose you keep shouting fred and we will wait here in reply fred was off in a moment and before he had got fifty yards away was floundering knee-deep in peat bog so much for reckless haste thought he as he got out of the bog and ran forward with much more caution soon those waiting below heard his clear voice far up the heights a few minutes more and it rang forth again more faintly mr sudbury remarked that it sounded as if it came from the clouds he put his hands to his mouth sailor fashion and replied then they listened intently for the next shout how still it was while they sat there 
what a grand gloomy solitude they could hear no sound but the beating of their own hearts solemn thoughts of the creator of these mighty hills crept into their minds as they gazed around and endeavored to pierce the thick darkness but this was impossible it was one of those nights in which the darkness was so profound that no object could be seen even indistinctly at the distance of ten yards each could see the other's form like a black marble statue but no feature could be traced the mountain peaks and ridges could indeed be seen against the dark sky like somewhat deeper shadows but the crags and quarries the scattered rocks and heathery knolls the peat bogs and the tarns of the wild scene which the circling peaks enclosed all were steeped in impenetrable gloom there seemed something terrible almost unnatural in this union of thick darkness with profound silence mr sudbury was startled by the sound of his own voice when he again spoke the boy must have gone too far i cannot hear hush hi in the far distance like a faint echo they all breathed more freely and mr sudbury uttered a powerful response presently the shout came nearer nearer still and soon fred rejoined them with the disheartening information that he had gained the summit of the ridge and could see nothing whatever well my children said mr sudbury with an assumption of cheerfulness which he was far from feeling nothing now remains but to push straight forward as fast as we can we must come to a road of some sort in the long run which will conduct to somewhere or other no doubt come cheer up forward follow close behind me lucy george do you take the lead you are the most active and sharp-sighted among us and mind the bogs what if we walk right over a precipice thought fred he had almost said it but checked himself for fear of alarming the rest unnecessarily instead of cautioning george he quietly glided to the front and took the lead slowly wearily and painfully they plodded on stumbling at times over a rugged and stone-covered surface sometimes descending a broken slope that grew more and more precipitous until it became dangerous and then fearing to go farther not knowing what lay before they had to retrace their steps and search for a more gradual descent now crossing a level patch that raised their hopes inclining them to believe that they had reached the bottom of the valley anon coming suddenly upon a steep ascent that dashed their hopes and induced them to suppose they had turned in the wrong direction and were reascending instead of descending the mountain all the time jackie slept like a top and george being a sturdy fellow carried him without a murmur several times fred tried to make him give up his burden but george was inexorably obstinate so they plodded on till nearly midnight is that a house said fred stopping short and pointing to a dark object just in front of them no it's a lake nonsense it's a mountain a few more steps and fred recoiled with the cry of horror it was a precipice full a hundred feet deep the dark abyss of which had assumed such varied aspects in their eyes a long detour followed and they reached the foot in safety here the land became boggy each step was an act fraught with danger anxiety and calculation whether they should step knee-deep into a hole full of water or trip over a rounded mass of solid turf was a matter of absolute uncertainty until the step was taken oh that we had only a gleam of moonshine said lucy with a sigh moonshine how often had george in the course of his life talked with levity almost amounting to contempt of things being all a matter of moonshine what would he not have given to have had only a tithe of the things which surrounded him at that time converted into moonshine a feeble cheer from fred caused an abrupt halt 
What is it? Hello? What now? The lake at last, our own luck. I know the shape of it well. Hurrah! Everyone was overjoyed. They all gazed at it long and earnestly, and unitedly came to the conclusion that it was the lock, probably at the distance of a mile or so. Pushing forward with revived spirits, they came upon the object of their hopes much sooner than they had anticipated. In fact, it was not more than two hundred yards distant. A wild yell of laughter mingled with despair burst from Fred as the lake galloped away in the shape of a white horse. The untraveled reader may possibly doubt this, yet it is a fact that a white horse was thus mistaken for a distant lake. The revulsion of feeling was tremendous. Everyone sighed, and Mr. Sudbury groaned, for at that moment the thought of poor Peter recurred to his mind. Yet there remained a strange feeling of kindliness in the breast of each toward that white horse. It was an undeniable proof of the existence of animal life in those wild regions, a fact which the deep solitude of all around had tempted them madly to doubt, unknown even to themselves. Besides, it suggested the idea of an owner to the horse, and by a natural and easy process of reasoning, they concluded that the owner must be a human being, and that when at home he probably dwelt in a house. What more probable than that the house was even within hail? Acting on the idea, Mr. Sudbury shouted for two minutes with all his might, the only result of which was to render himself extremely hoarse. Then George tried it, and so did Fred, and Jackie awoke and began to whimper and to ask to be let down. He also kicked a little, but being very tired, soon fell asleep again. "'You must let me carry him now,' said Fred." i won't fred tried force but george was too strong for him so they went on as before lucy leaning somewhat heavily on her father's arm presently they heard the sound of water it filled them with mitigated joy and excitement on the simple principle that anything in the shape of variety was better than nothing a clap of thunder would have raised in their depressed bosoms a gleam of hope a flash of lightning would have been a positive blessing. Mr. Sudbury at once suggested that it must be a stream, and that they could follow its course, wade down its bed, if necessary, till they should arrive at something. Foolish man! He had been long enough in the highlands by that time to have known that to walk down the bed of a mountain burn was about as possible as to walk down the shaft of a coal mine. They came to the edge of its banks, however, and looking over, tried to pierce its gloom. There was a pale gleam of white foam, a rumbling, rustling sound beneath, and a sensation of moisture in the atmosphere. "'It rains,' said Mr. Sudbury. "'I rather think it's the spray of a fall,' observed George." Had Mr. Sudbury known the depth of the tremendous gulf into which he was peering, and the steep cliff on the edge of which he stood, he would have sprung back in alarm, but he did not know. He did not entertain the faintest idea of the truth, so he boldly, though cautiously, began to clamber down, assisting Lucy to descend. Man, including woman, knows not what he can accomplish until he tries. Millions of glittering gold would not have induced any member of that party to descend such a place in the dark had they known what it was, yet they accomplished it in safety. Down, down they went. Dear me, when shall we reach the foot? We must be near it now. No, they were not near it. Still, down they went, becoming more and more alarmed, yet always tempted on by the feeling that each step would bring them to the bottom. What a noise the stream makes! Why, it must be a river! No, it was not a river. 
it was a mere burn quite a little burn but what then little men are always fussier and noisier than big men little boys invariably howl more furiously than big boys nature is full of analogies and little streams especially mountain streams always make more ado in finding their level than big rivers they got down at last and then they found the stream rushing bursting crashing among rent and riven rocks and boulders as if it had gone furiously mad and was resolved never more to flow and murmur but always to leap and roar it was impassable to walk down its banks or bed was impossible so the wanderers had to reascend the bank and roam away over black space in search of another crossing they soon lost the sound and the intricacies of cliffs and dells and never again found that stream but they found a narrow path and fred announced the discovery with a cheer it was an extremely rugged path and appeared to have been macadamized with stones the size of a man's head this led them to suspect that it must be a ditch not a path but it turned out to be the dry bed of a mountain torrent dry at least as regards running water though not dry in respect of numerous stagnant pools into which at various times each member of the party stepped unintentionally it mattered not nothing could make them wetter or more miserable than they were so they thought they had yet to learn that the thoughts of men are forever misleading them and that there is nothing more certain than the uncertainty of all human calculations end of chapter ten recording by pete mckelvin